Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Priya Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. All of it is delivered in 50 minutes or less because you don't have time to waste. Let's get started. Hello, podcast listeners. Today on the show, we have a repeat guest, John James Rinaldi, exec assistant to the stars, singer extraordinaire, and organizer. It's true. It's true. So John and I are both super obsessed with Marie Kondo, the life-changing magic of tidying up. Yes. And I thought it would be fun to have a podcast about how you apply the principles of the life-changing magic to nonprofit business. Sounds good. Sounds good. So tell me a little bit, for those of you who have been living under a rock. Yes, for like the last five years yes, at can least. You tell, tell us a little bit about who is Marie Kondo and what is the life-changing magic of tidying up? Okay, well, okay, so Marie Kondo is our goddess. No, yes. But uh, she's, yes, she she's is, this actually. wonderful organizer from Japan. Uh, and, and you and I had both read a lot of other organizing books. We were both oh, big yeah, fans Julia of Julie Morgenstern and various other people yeah. who are all awesome. But there was always something kind of missing. There was always like, uh, like it didn't quite work. Uh, and then you turned me on to Marie Kondo. Uh, and I think the big thing with Marie Kondo is her system is so simple. So simple. It's it's foolproof as long as you follow the steps and you have to actually follow the steps. You can't skip anything. You can't cheat. Uh, If you do, it won't work. And she tells you that. But if you do it right, uh, it changes the way you think. It really changes your relationship with things, uh, which is great. It suddenly gives you control over your things. Like, you know, so many people, they they have like an overwhelming amount of stuff. You walk in their house and it's just oh, I know. stuff it's, everywhere. Yeah, it's very, very stressful for and, me. Yeah, and they don't even, like they can't find anything and they don't like it, but they don't know where to begin. And they think, oh, I can't let any of this go. I need all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So Marie Kondo, Kanmari, to her disciples like us, um, <laughs> really teaches people how to assess the value of things present day value mm-hmm. not not was it valuable to me five years ago but is it being valuable to me now has it already done its thing is it time to thank it and let it go and mm. that's okay and not feel guilty about it uh or is it something that you need to keep because it either as she says sparks joy in you just for no reason, it just makes you happy, or it's a tool that you can use. And I think that's a really good distinction that she made. I think she made that in her second book, mm-hmm. um, because you know, initially she said you have to touch each thing in your house and see if it sparks joy. And you know, frankly, like a can opener is not going to spark joy. Or a this, right? It's right. just, but it is a valuable tool. Like mm-hmm. if you if you think of it more like, gee, this can opener helps me every time I want to make Campbell's soup. Right. You know, then. It's not, uh, it's not quite so silly. Right. Um, it does make sense. But if you want to apply this to any kind of business setting, um, I, I see this in nonprofit all the time. I remember one of my first nonprofit jobs, my first task was to go to the storage unit of the nonprofit and clean it out. And I, I lifted up one of those big garage doors, and it was floor-to-ceiling file boxes. Oy. And all they were labeled with was the name of the old ED, and it said so-and-so's stuff and there were like there must have been i don't know like 500 boxes of so-and-so stuff and i had to go through each and every one and determine with you know help of people because i had just started people in the organization did this look like anything to keep or Mm -hmm. not and we ended up keeping a very small amount of it sure so um yeah so you got to figure out uh 
you know, what it is that you need and why it is that you need it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something I've noticed nonprofits hang on to things, even more so than regular businesses. Well, here's the thing. I've thought about this. I yeah. think part of why there's a tendency to hold on to stuff in nonprofits is that turnover tends to be higher than yes. in for-profit companies. And yes. I think, therefore, it's, it's either, you know, people leave and you just keep their stuff. Right. Or you keep stuff with the thought that, well, we'll need this information when we need to bring the next person in. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what's what's the balance between preserving institutional knowledge mm -hmm. and keeping, you know, good, useful information and also embracing tidying up? Yes. Well, it's going to depend, too, on when you do have that turnover. It depends on the way people leave. Because mm. there's definitely a good and a bad way to leave. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in nonprofit, just like in every other business, a lot of people don't leave well. Mm -hmm. They just leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you're left, you know, puzzling over their, their stuff. Ideally, before that person leaves, there's going to be a transfer of knowledge and even of, of files and things like that from them to whoever their successor is or to a placeholder type person, mm -hmm. hiring manager or something. Um, and so that's a really great time to assess together. Yes, we're going to need this. No, you can throw that away. Mm -hmm. um, if that doesn't happen, then it's going to fall oftentimes to the person who's the successor, mm -hmm. uh, who may never have even met that person. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say the, the best way to support that person would be to give them the time at the outset to do that process of clearing out, to say, you might have to sit with them as the boss, say, this looks like garbage, this looks like something we might need again, and be comfortable just doing that, and to know that you're not going to keep most of it. Yeah, and I feel like the physical clutter mm -hmm. has now become digital clutter. Yes. And yes. so I know people have like a million Google Docs and spreadsheets and Dropbox files and yeah. box and it just it's such a nightmare. I know it is. at our last organization you spearheaded a very ambitious yes. project to reorganize our our uh, digital file cabinet which was a yeah. nightmare. And it worked it worked pretty well actually. It worked uh, it was it was kind of an experiment because we'd never really done anything like this. Yeah. And so how did you get started? Well, the the first thing was we realized the number one problem was finding stuff because everybody had a different way of naming documents. Mm. And so one of our colleagues figured out uh, a lovely sort of like little scheme for naming things, uh, which would make files a lot easier to find. Mm -hmm. And so it involved two things. First, we, you know, we decided that everything starting on November first. Uh, you know, 2017 was going to be named following these new conventions. Mm -hmm. But then the other piece was that we were going to go back through our digital files. We we're going to divvy everything up, go back through, and anything that was still in use uh, that wasn't just going to be thrown into an archive was going to be renamed according to the conventions. Mm. And it seemed, it would seem like that would take forever. It actually didn't because we had the whole staff pitch in. It only took a couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, and it made a huge immediate difference in people being able to find things. Wow. And it was amazing because, I mean, you know, you know how it is. Nonprofit, you know, there's, there's one big server file or one big uh, mm -hmm. Dropbox file that says program. Yeah. And then, like, everything in the world or is in program. Program or, or development. Admin, or, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and so you got to go in and, and have those subfolders. So would you recommend doing like having a routine of like a yearly purge or something or like a monthly purge or what's yeah that? I would say probably more like quarterly at, mm -hmm. at, at the minimum mm -hmm. um yearly is too long you can build up too much stuff in a year yeah um 
and the, the other piece that we came up with during that process, too, was we decided that it didn't make sense for things to be too buried in mm, folders. Like so you don't want to have folders within folder. folders within folders. That is my personal pet peeve. Me, too. I just can't handle it. So we decided that our file tree would be very wide but not deep. Mm, so, you know, yeah. it's great to have, you know, so in, inside your fundraising folder, it's great to have, you know, 20 folders across. But then in those 20 folders across, they better only be one or two deep. Yeah. So that way you can find things. Yeah. Yeah. And can you say anything about um, institutional knowledge? Because I know when I left, I, I created a bit of a wiki mm -hmm. um, to download everything in my brain. I don't know if it was helpful or if it was in use after I left. Yeah, I, don't, I think, I'm not sure, because then, of course, I left not too long after you. But um, I'm not sure there is any good way of doing that except to try not to have to do it at the very end. I think it makes more sense to try to capture that knowledge as you go along. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm sure you felt doing it at the end that it was, that there was pressure to like remember everything that you'd ever done. Right. Um, which is hard. And um, so, you know, every, every system works differently. Every company works differently. Every nonprofit. Um, and I think that people appreciate any effort that is made to retain institutional knowledge like that, but the more you can integrate it into your daily routine and not have to do it as like a separate download, the better. Um, but that being said, you know, it's, it's always better to try. So um, I think those are all the questions I have. To, oh, actually, no, I have one last question. Yes. Because it seems to me that part of, you know, keeping things tidy is really about one's own psychology yes about you know keeping things or letting things go mm -hmm. and i'm just wondering i mean in an organization you have lots of different people and different personalities and different quirks and so forth so how do you manage all of the different uh personalities let's say around tendency to keep things or not like for yeah, example, like I tend yeah. to be a thrower or wearer. My mm -hmm. husband tends to be a keeper of things, right? So <laughs> right. it's a constant tension in our relationship. Like, it's another dance, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's good. I think the most important thing is to get people to stop and talk about this stuff, yeah. even though it is not the sexiest topic ever. Yeah. Uh, people have very strong opinions on it, and so you need to find a middle ground that works for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, or you know, find strategies that work for people as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and get teams to recognize that sometimes that means doing things that maybe aren't necessarily their their druthers, mm -hmm. but but just agreeing on a system that we can all use going forward. Mm -hmm. um, I know in our in our company initially people were a little bit freaked out because the file names were kind of long mm -hmm. that we would come up with, but once they realized how much easier it was to find things, then they were on board. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just getting people to suspend their their uh, you know judgments long enough to give something a try and mm -hmm. and being willing to say if something doesn't work going forward that you know can tweak it mm -hmm. okay cool well hopefully this will help people to become a little bit more organized in their work thank you so much john you bet thank you talk to you later bye